0: Hi, you're listening to The Retail Perch with Sheikha Rahman and Gary Hawkins.
1: We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch here with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. Uh, thank you again for your continuing support. And as we keep these podcasts moving, and we get these amazing guests on our show. And uh, Gary, things are heating up here on the East Coast. I don't know about you in Denver, but it's been like the hottest summer I can ever remember.
1: It's been hot out here. We've had a lot of days over 100 degrees and uh, it's just starting to cool off a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I hope you guys out there are cooling off. My grass is dead. And I think I'm going to have a new lawn next year. (laughs) Well, well, on top of that, one of my uh, electric lines under my property popped, and the utility company had to dig up my entire front lawn. Yeah, nice. uh, so you know everything is looking nice and brown, and I think that's the color for the season right now. <laughs> but we're going to talk. We're going to talk about more hotter things here. We have an exciting guest, somebody who's got many many years of experience in retail. Comes with a wealth of knowledge. Not only that, he's been in the industry. He's also been on the analyst side, so he's been working as an analyst for many many years. So he's really seen the gamut, and I think we're going to have a great conversation here. But I'll let. Kevin introduce himself. Kevin, welcome to the Retail Perch.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be able to join. My name is Kevin Stronecker, and uh, I am the Chief Strategy Officer for Demandtech, which is an acoustic company. And uh, as uh, Shaker mentioned, I've done a few things in my career. Uh, I kind of think about my career in, in three major buckets. One is a retailer And having worked with a number of different kinds of retailers and a number of different roles, which gives me a a distinct perspective about what retailers are facing today. And then um, as an analyst, as you mentioned, um, many years as a vice president of research at Gartner, which gave me the behind the scenes look and and also the, the sense to know what rocks to look under when you're evaluating capabilities and technologies and and approaches, and uh, and companies that have uh, better than average odds of of great success in delivery, and then a number of uh, leadership roles in technology companies that uh, span really the focus of converting, uh, sensing demand, and delivering capabilities to decision makers to make improved decisions for their customers, and that's really where my career has um, centered around and shaped, and I feel it gives me a pretty good view of uh, the world for uh, you know, a unique perspective.
0: Wow. Wow. So you've really done all the three sides of this uh, triangle here, retailer, analyst, and solution provider.
2: Yeah. And some of it was early days. So for example, I joined Walmart Supercenters when they had 65 stores that had been open for more than a year. Wow. Wow. And that was before they had all kinds of technologies. And and I worked in the operations development group and and on teams that rolled out things like scheduling based on activities and uh, the front end. Speedy Checkout is a program that I had studied with the team that I built and deployed. It's 20 items or less because my team determined that that's what be it, the number. And uh, so there's some fingerprints that I've got on a number of different organizations and things that I've done that kind of still persist. Neat. Well,
0: that's, that's, that's that's really neat. And so, as as an analyst, when you were uh, working at Gartner, Kevin, what was some of the things that maybe you were surprised by or opened your eyes going from retailer to analyst? What was?
2: Yeah, um, I think one of the great advantages of being an analyst is that uh, in any given day, I'll have between I, I would have between 10 and 15 conversations with different retailers and that's every day of the entire year, right? Every working day. And I would see things repeat multiple times because i talked to 40 or 50 retailers that are dealing with this one instance or challenge or problem or benefit. Whereas others might talk to one or two, maybe a consultancy or some firm or technology companies might talk to a few people, and it's more difficult to identify true value or true trends or true challenges when you have a few data points than it is when you have 50, 60, 70, or 500 data points that give you a real sense of what's really happened. And that was a a key learning within the analyst uh, experience. And I think the other thing is that um, oftentimes technology providers are talking to themselves when they strain at certain messages or certain activities or certain lists or et cetera. And what the decision makers really want to know is, you know, does this technology truly address my challenges? Can I really deploy it and will my people adopt it? And and will this technology help me with what I need in a few years, not just now? Are they, are they thinking in a way that aligns with where I'm headed as a retailer also? And oftentimes, the technology companies will list out, here's our differentiators. And there, there may be points of value, but you hear the same thing repeated over and over again, and it's really not a differentiator at all, right? Yeah. Right. And so those are some things that really came forward in that experience that helped me understand that customers really want to know what's different about you. They assume that you can do, you know, what it is they're requesting. But the real determining factor for about half of the decision is, is what's really different about what you do. You know, the other half is can it be adopted and, and can we really extract the value? Does it really solve our problem? Yeah.
0: And I think that's one of the, you bring up a really good point because I think many times there are plenty of exciting technologies out there, but for a retailer to, A, make a decision, implement it properly and have it rolled out, there is very often a long gap between the two, right? It can take 18 months sometimes, maybe two years, and the market's moved on and there's something new that's come in. And I, I find that... I don't know, from your experience, what have you seen in terms of retailers being able to adopt something quickly and actually push it out to their customers fast?
2: Yeah, I I think that the key that really seems to make a difference in most deployments that lead to success is the executive level support to not only remove hurdles for change, but also endorsing the activities and supporting it in the dog days right when when it's when when there's real work and it takes time to do it one of the things we looked at 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 Gartner was when a project fails why did it fail right so if, if you have 10 deployments and seven were successful and three were failures why did those three fail and oftentimes The reason for failure was not the technology, was was not the organization's ability to change. It was time. And we, we learned that there's this maturity curve and there are steps to achieving maturity. And you can't skip the steps. You need to hit every one of the steps and be proficient in every step. And if you moved Too quickly from one stage of maturity to another, you don't have the foundation required for the next. And that typically leads to challenges. And because of that time, needing to be proficient in each step of maturity, sometimes companies decide to quit right before the curve changes between the investment in the project and the return on the on right. the on the, uh, the value right and and oftentimes they were so close <laughs> to making it really work and they decided that it was taking too long or it's too hard or the change is too difficult but yet the kinds of transformation that are requiring being required of customers and of competitors sometimes the change of an organization is pretty meaty and, and it's really the only way that, that the organization is going to truthfully be able to deliver what the customer is looking for is to really change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things I keep going back to as a, uh, I think a great example of success, you know, I know a lot of lo- retailers are looking to implement loyalty and personalization and these are become buzzwords today, but I think last Five years I've seen kind of Starbucks roll out its loyalty program. And they did it in such a gradual, measured, and I think really well thought out manner. Now it's a full-blown personalization, you know, they deliver really, I, I and I respond to them you know, as, as a Starbucks drinker, not crazy, but I still see them, I notice them, and I want to take part in them. You know, but they didn't do it overnight, they did it very gradually over three to four years. And like you said, I think they expected each level to reach a level of maturity before they went to the next and the next. They didn't try to build it all too fast.
1: Yeah, well, e- even if you can build it fast and roll everything out at once, that's really not a, a good practice, right? Because from a shopper perspective or consumer perspective, it's important to continuously roll out new benefits or new uh, features, et cetera, to keep it fresh, keep people engaged, you know, get new shoppers onto the platform, et cetera.
2: Well, and, and you know, Gary, I think your point, well, one of the most helpful approaches to change is that you're constantly monitoring the progress of your audience, right? The progress of your customers. Yeah. And if you deploy and you think you have the answer in your deployment and you don't have a built-in cycle for review and revisions, you're likely gonna miss the mark because your customers are constantly changing, right? It's the idea right. of building a highway system that takes so long to do it and plan it and deliver it and et cetera, that by the time that it's done, you need to do it again because the growth is never. No, yeah. The growth didn't stop during the delivery right. of the new highway system, right? No, that, that, and, that, that's right. And it's gotta be planned in for cycles of revision and review and improvements or what you end up with falls short of what the customer is demanding.
1: Yeah. yeah. Your
2: competition isn't stopping either, right? So for retailers, they're constantly evolving and changing and improving as well. And the competitors, they're moving the target also,
1: right? Right. Especially new digital native competitors that almost, you know, by default move significantly faster, right? And, you know, as, as we look at what's happening, with technology and how Fast and ever faster tech and innovation is happening. I, I think one of the biggest threats to traditional retail is simply they take to, they've become accustomed to taking a lot of time, you know, a sales cycle of a year or two before they even make a decision around some new capability, and then a year or two, if not even longer, to deploy it and roll it out. You know, nobody's got three or four years anymore to think about these things.
2: Yeah, and that's true. And, and you know, it's interesting, the expectations of retailers for the return on investment is also different in parts of the world. So in, in North America, oftentimes uh, retailers are looking for return on investment in nine or 10 months. In Europe, they're looking for um, five to seven months, right, and, and a quicker return yeah. on their investment. And, uh, and so projects with this idea of taking a year or more to determine who you're gonna select and then a year or more to deploy, they're long in the tooth and most senior teams don't have the patience for those long drawn out projects. Right. Right. Um, On the other hand, some of the best innovations are those that have um, really taken some time, right? So this, this whole idea of drone deliveries by Amazon and others, this has been around for a long time and people have been working on it for a long time and it's taken a lot of time to kind of figure this out. But uh, for the people that are willing to invest in something that's never been done before with all kinds of regulations that um, were put up to prevent it from being successful, you know, there's efforts now that are underway that uh, make it a real, um, you know, opportunity for those that have stayed the course and and who have uh, invested, you know, to, yeah. to think that you can order something and have it delivered on a dot in the middle of your yard is a pretty impressive and amazing feat, right? In 20 minutes, I can have just about anything five pounds and under delivered to my to my home. Yeah. Right. That's pretty
0: amazing. Yeah, no. so you're saying pretty soon I'm going to have a FedEx truck pull up a mile from my home, the doors open and 20 drones fly out and go deliver and come back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> or any any scenario of that right Right. Um, (laughs) yeah right but and and part of it is fuel part of it is time part of it is convenience part of it is security right when a box is delivered to your fenced in backyard it's a little bit more secure than sitting on the front porch
0: right yeah yeah totally totally so kevin i want to kind of shift gears here and talk about something that i know in other conversations we've kind of touched upon which is You know, the industry has been, uh, especially the grocery industry, about trade promotions, right? And how Mm -hmm. CPGs have funded uh, mostly trade promotions for the better part of, I don't know, six, seven decades now, right? Uh, And you have the weekly ad flyer. But you feel that somehow I get the feeling that with all the changes that have happened in the past few years, you know, data being available with COVID and, you know, the increase in price of paper distribution going down, Something is going to happen to the whole whole trade promotion industry, right? And we don't know exactly what it is, but we we see changes coming, right? Do you feel the same?
2: I do, um, and I, you know, I'm
0: starting to see
2: um, some of those indicators, right? I, I don't think that the model of suppliers, vendors offering trade funds to retailers that that mechanism itself, I don't necessarily see that changing in, in general. What I see is, is how does the supplier determine what to offer? How does the retailer execute on the intention of the offer? And how does the consumer see, understand, and act on that offer? I think that the pieces are what we're gonna see a lot of change in the next uh, several years. For example, today, suppliers have their own analytics uh, working to help them understand which offers to extend. But wouldn't it be better if the suppliers could actually receive the insights about the consumers for the retailer supported with the actual retail loyalty and transactional data? Of the consumers, instead of going through third-party sources or through syndicated or you know other types of analytic services to arrive at a surrogate, right? Instead of using the surrogates, just getting it direct, and right. in essence leveraging a similar brain AI or otherwise that the retailers are using, um, so that they're you, they're going about the practice using a similar understanding of demand, so that what is offered by the supplier is something that the retailer can receive and, and execute on. So I think there's changes afoot there. And I think there's changes afoot for the retailer as well in the way that those offers are presented to the consumer. I think one of the keys to change that is driving this need is that mass promotions are beginning to really not have the effect, not beginning, have for some time, not had the same effect. There are fewer customers in the stores, walking the aisles, seeing the sign, seeing the end caps, the side wing stacks and things like that. Fewer customers are seeing the ads. Fewer customers know what's on promotion and they know what's on promotion, Fewer. So the effect of the mass promotion is declining. And there's a lot of effort by a lot of people to figure out a way to be more personal with those promotions in a way that allows the retailer to connect with the consumer in a conversation and reward them for their business and to incent them for more business. And I think that connecting the supplier and the retailer is important, um, but, but what is offered and how it's extended to the consumer, I see a lot of opportunity for change.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to say that, because I think uh, when you think about uh, trade promotions, most, most people don't even know what's on sale in the store, apart from what you put on the weekly ad anyway, right? Not unless not you walk the aisles uh, in any case. So I always uh, wondered about the amount of operational effort that the retailer has to put in to put out that weekly ad on a week-by-week basis, and they have to do this three to four weeks in advance uh, because it has to go to the print shop and get distributed. Yeah. seems like with, with you know in 2022, this day and age, there's got to be a better way of thinking about this and doing this and really focusing your effort on taking care of customers as opposed to only planning the ad. I mean, yes, printed ad, like you said, is not going to go away, but the method of delivery and informing customers and engaging customers, I I see there's a lot of opportunity for improvement and change there.
2: Well, framing it, Shaker, is a bit more complex than even three or four weeks. So for a typical CPG retailer, um, there's about 12 weeks of planning that go in at any one time. So if you think about maybe there's thirty five hundred items that are promoted each week, times twelve, that's how many items are in play for some type of promotion in some stage of promotion planning and negotiation and and et cetera with the vendors. So that's it's massive, right? Yeah. So forty eight up, upwards to forty to fifty thousand items are in play in some form of planning stages in a CPG retail environment. Let's you take a grocery, right? And then think about the workload that's on the shoulders of a merchant to try to negotiate with the suppliers for all of those pieces, make sure they've got the right ad work, the right the artwork, they, they've got the right advertising flow lines, they've got the right price, they've got the right costs, they've got the right volumes. All of that is incredibly difficult for a consumer has who has changed dramatically. You can't take last year's ads and make some refinement and right. run it this year and be successful. Inflation didn't exist last year, this time. The customer's dealing with different challenges. And the same was true last year, right? The customer didn't, they were not in the middle of COVID, right? The same way they were. So it's it's just more change in the customer's experience in the last few years than we've seen in customers in a long time and um retailers and suppliers i i believe are looking for and uh, will be rewarded with their customers when they're able to tap into what does the customer really want and need and what vehicles of delivery and consumption are going to be the most appealing what prices is it click and collect, is it deliver, is it whatever, and and what prices for which items, right? So it's back to school in North America. What are the right items for back to school in an inflationary time versus emerging from COVID? Yeah. I promise that it's different. Now there's many items that'll be the same, right? Pencils and notepads and all that kind of stuff is kind of the same, but there are other items that are now different whether it's different sensitivities, different demand levels. And it's really important that that retailers have the ability to know those changes. And it doesn't happen because you study your reports and your trends and you kind of figure it out. You need something more sophisticated that can sense demand and recommend and even allow you to test out what would happen if I ran this app. In this environment, with inflation, with my customers, in this store versus that store, and that is really valuable and important and which channel should i use digital coupons should i use a personalized promotion should i use a mass and what vehicle what offer and then with the suppliers how do we fund this so that we both achieve the goal that we're seeking which is more volume more revenue more profit i mean both companies have the same goal yeah. and so lining it up so they have the an, a similar tool that allows them to do it on both sides is I think where people are beginning to say hey we got to figure this out together
0: right right my head's spinning just thinking about all this right and this has to be done every week year in and year out and so Gary I know you, you you know from your retail experience how did you uh what's the drawbacks you see of the current method and where is where do you see this
1: uh, so you know uh, as I've advocated for a long time ever since you know we launched one of the first loyalty programs and really began to understand all that data that intelligence and and understand shopper value uh you know that that created a real shift in focus for myself you know and and for our team um and that shift really became more and more focused on you know, not necessarily what the brands want us to promote, but what do our shoppers want to buy? And, you know, as we had more and more capability to provide that relevancy, right, that became the, the driving force. You know, we, we actually tried to reduce the number of products we would have on mass promotion every week or, you know, at any given period, tried to curtail that. And open up on you know the selection of products that could be personalized or made relevant to each shopper. So that began to help. But uh, you know it's it's a different world today. And uh, the other, as Kevin well knows here, you know the other big thing that retailers have to deal with is if you're an independent smaller retailer buying your product through a wholesaler, right? You're sort of beholden to what that ad plan is you don't have a whole lot of choice and be able to say, well, I'm going to do this or do that. A larger chain self-distributing has much more control through the negotiation with their brand partners over what they're going to promote. Mm. So it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a tough, tough slog.
0: I know. So Kevin, if if you, if I were to ask you to see your, you know, through a time tunnel and say 2028, what do you see? I mean, how do you see, How do you see things changing here in terms of both the customer experience of accessing savings and how retailers work with CPGs on using these promotional funds? What would be some of the key things that you think would change?
2: I think that one of the keys will be there will be new methods developed for consumers to become aware of offers for products that they care about. I think that's an important element that will adjust and and improve. I think also the shopping experience is about to really change over the next few years. We've seen some prototypes, for example, how the metaverse would think about using VR and shopping. Now, I don't think it means that you have to wear a headset in order to shop. But if you think about the concept of, I want to buy something, it is not difficult today to present to the customer the products that they normally buy and then have suppliers advertise to be able to be available for products that you would likely buy and have only those products available um, in your store for you, each individual consumer, with alerts on promotions that are incenting you to buy that are only available to you. And that experience then uh, is about selecting what you want and then a method of how you want to receive the product. Either I want to pick it up myself I want to have it delivered to my um, home, or I want somebody to come into my dwelling and put it on the shelf or in the refrigerator or in the freezer or whatever it might be. And I think that that there's a lot of uh, work being done right now to change the shopping experience, which will largely um, convert the value of retail space, physical, as well as digital, and give opportunity to a whole new set of companies and businesses that that exist for one purpose. And that is to reduce the friction of receiving the products that consumers choose that they want to buy. And I think there's a lot of that that's underway and there's pieces, right? So how do you promote? How do you extend individual promotions that are gonna work for one customer? And that's an important piece. How do you create an experience that removes all friction, right? And then how do you create an an experience that isn't difficult for anyone to use and doesn't require special gear or, or stuff in order to shop? And I think that's, we're seeing the beginnings, but I think that some of the beginnings will be short lived because people are not, I don't, I don't know if people are going to want to wear a headset when they want to go shop. They may because of the benefits that come with it. Right. But it may not be required if you want to have like a 2D experience versus a 3D experience.
0: Right.
2: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. right. Oh, you know, think about it. Uh, I think uh, whatever, 70 years ago, you walked into a grocery store, the owner picked up the products and put it in the bag for you and gave it to you. You didn't walk around the store and so I think the, at that point, the idea of pushing your own cart up and down the aisle might have seemed like too, too radical a change, right? <laughs> so who knows? Maybe people will be willing to wear something in their head and walk around, right? <laughs> they can kind of... And, and maybe
1: so, yeah. right? I, 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 I agree with Kevin. I don't think people are going to be walking around the store with a full VR headset. But, you know, if you read about what Apple's developing, Samsung and the others in the sense of smart glasses and augmented reality and providing a digital overlay to the physical world right in you know glasses just like we're all wearing that to me is a game changer right Mm -hmm. uh and, and that you know i don't have a problem wearing a pair of glasses and if you can enrich my experience my life by providing that digital overlay that's a game changer yeah
2: yeah, and and there's you know there's some technologies that I think customers are willing to accept um, that are different than maybe what we might think they would be willing to accept. You know, so for example, today, if there was a self-driving car that I could just say, "Come pick me up and deliver me," I didn't have to own it, I didn't have to insure it, and it just gave me a charge for the usage. And I didn't have to drive it, I would not care what it looks like. I wouldn't care what it what shape it was, I wouldn't care what color it was, I wouldn't care anything about the way it looked, if it could do those things. So with glasses, for example, if if I could just say, give me the details of this product, and it shows up on a like in the air in front of me, and I didn't have to do anything, and it wasn't too cumbersome, and it yeah. didn't have big, huge thick. Um, you know, um, temples and all this stuff that the early prototypes have, I would, I would be in for that. And if I were wearing these glasses and I'm in a store and I'm looking at something and it pops up with a promotion and I say, yes, accept. And then, then that promotion is now available to me when I check out, I would love that. And I don't think that the fact that I do or don't wear glasses would encumber me with uh, wanting to have something that delivered that kind of experience, right? right. Um, but right. I do think that the method of shopping is, is going to change dramatically. I, I, don't, I think there's a real place for the physical. And I think we see lots of experiments like uh, Best Buy just announced that they're going to do a showroom only format yep. and test that out. Um, which is interesting because wasn't that, you know, a format that was in the early eighties that kind of didn't, <laughs> work. but anyway, it's okay. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but, you know, it's important that these new approaches or even refined approaches from the past be tried uh, because the consumer, I don't believe wants the, the hassle of going and messing with traffic and then messing with time and delay and, like shopping, going up and down aisles and shopping. You know, when I go to a home improvement, I, I have three things on my list and there's 200,000 square feet and I know where nothing is. Just give me a map and show me how to get where I'm at. And then let me say I need help. And then somebody comes to help me. And then right. I, I put it in a bag and I check out and I'm done. And I don't even have to stand in line. I'm in. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, physical shopping has become a, a very uh, dissatisfying experience. Uh, and I'm probably being nice when I say that, right? Uh, you know, you, you go into, I still find appeal going into a retailer like a Wegmans or a Dorothy Lane or somebody where it's experience, right? You're discovering new foods, you're sampling, trying new things. That's an experience. I'm happy to spend my time doing that. But, you know, I was just in a a store uh, last night with Heather, you know, national chain here in the Denver area. And I just couldn't get over how miserable an experience it was. You know, a handful of things we went in there looking for, you know, they had maybe two out of five. The others, you know, big holes on the shelf. You know, uh, my wife Heather went to the pharmacy, stood in line with literally a dozen other people, waiting half the night to,
2: to get a prescription filled.
1: Yeah. It's just Very, not a good
2: experience. Yeah, and I do think, yeah, I do think that there are retailers who are getting it right. You know, for, for example, a return at Costco or Amazon is frictionless, right? Yeah. It's easy, there's not an issue, right? And there are other retailers that recognize that they got to fix their return process, right? You can't limit your best customers to return because they're your best customers and they spend right. a lot and they happen to earn products from time to time, which might be more than the normal
0: yes. because they shop,
2: right? Yeah. So, so I think that people are beginning to recognize that you got to make returns easy and painless. I think the customers are recognizing, uh, retailers are recognizing the service needs to be um, exceptional and you've, gotta, you've got to yeah. find ways to delight like customers. HB does a great job at that. Kroger does a really good job at that. Publix does a great job at that, right? You've got to have people that are informed. I think Home Depot does a great job with people who know what they're doing, that are available to ask questions, right? I am not a plumber, but if somebody will show me what I need to do, I can follow instructions and I can do it, Yeah, right? Um, But if I go to a place to buy just parts to do plumbing, I'm probably going to be calling a plumber because I will mess it up. Right. Unless I have help. Uh, Yeah. And and YouTube can only get me so far.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's true. And in fact, last week in our episode, uh, we talked about exactly that, Gary, which was, you know, um, very often, I think, um, obviously price is not the only way to compete, right? If you can have a fantastic experience in store, very often you don't have to compete on price. And you maybe don't have to have so many promotional items because people come in for the experience. And yeah. you know, I w- yeah. I would pay an extra 10 bucks per trip if I enjoyed the experience, because you know, the 10 bucks is worth the experience. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's many retailers who are actually doing a great job. They may score low on the price competitiveness, but they score high on customer satisfaction. Sure.
2: Yeah, I do think it's important though, especially now with the cost of living being much higher, that retailers take an extra uh, measure of care for how they interact with all of their customers. There are customers where they can't afford the extra $10 for that experience. And it's important that retailers recognize and understand that the key items, those competitive items where customers are making decisions and trading between having versus needing, right, or wanting, it's important to recognize what are those items and what is the price that, that customers are willing to pay.
0: Right. right. Because remember, customers
2: really do not care how much it costs you to get it to the show. Uh, what they care is what is the price that you're charging and do I value that? Yes. What I would receive and what what is available from competition. Yeah. And, and that's really the right price, right? What, what what is the price everyone else is charging what are you charging and is it worth it to me and sometimes the price needs to be held down even though the costs have gone up or you're going to lose the customer to someone else right you know there's no there's no uh, surprise that customers are frequenting dollar stores they offer things that customers need who have fixed income or tight budgets and they offer it at very low prices. Yeah, and but honestly, customers are okay with tinfoil that's just not as thick as what they might get somewhere else because it's tinfoil. And right. all they really do is want to make sure that they can protect the pan so it doesn't take extra time to clean it. Right. Right. Yeah. No. And, and if it's going to be a dollar versus three dollars, there are customers who will absolutely make that choice to shop at a value um, um, provider. Uh, over something who is maybe their normal choice.
0: Yeah. Plus, I think in the grocery industry, you have your customers, if you treat them right for a much longer period of time than most traditional retail, right? So if you you really have a customer, do you want to maximize the profit on one trip or do you want to maximize it over five years, right? So I think think that that plays into the strategy of how you deal with your customers and your pricing and your optics all you know, have to mirror that long-term value of the customer, right?
2: Right, I think that the challenge comes is when the retailer gives the the customer a reason to examine change, right? So if you're constantly removing friction, you're constantly improving experience, and you're constantly reminding them of your very competitive prices, you've not given them a reason to change. But when you give them reasons, your service suffers, your assortment, or availability, or your prices are out of alignment, when those things begin to become issues, you've given the consumer a reason to look for alternatives. And right. that's when you have.
0: Right. Right. Wow. This is Kevin. I'm just looking in the clock and I just jumped to 45 minutes here. It's a great <laughs> conversation, you know, and very often, you know, we we speak to people uh, on the show who have had extensive experience like you. It seems like you know, I can keep talking for hours, and certainly, you know, Gary and I are not shy about <laughs> conversations. We're
2: talking not about all. Things. Yeah.
0: No, but this has been a great conversation, and I think uh, and our listeners would definitely love this. And I hope there's plenty of retailers listening because I think there were just a ton of nuggets. It's not very often we get a guest on the show who's had experience in retail as an analyst, top analyst. Uh, who still contributes by the way. Kevin writes and keeps himself busy and is constantly writing blog posts and you can find a lot of his content all over the place. And now he is uh, heading a uh, solution provider, Demandtech, the part of Acoustic, doing some amazing things at uh, uh, Demandtech themselves. But Kevin, tell us a little bit about Demandtech before we close out. What, what, is, what does Demandtech do?
2: Absolutely. In, you know, In short, we do two things really, really well. We connect retailers and suppliers in a trade network. Uh, so they can exchange costs and trade funds uh, and negotiate in Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. And then we offer a set of solutions around price promotion and lockdown that allow the retailers to do something with those changes that they've received from their suppliers. And we can do that all together as a platform, or we can do each individual solution as a, a standalone module. And we have many customers that are doing everything in between. And that's yeah. what we do we am yeah, just demand into decisions.
0: I mean, you're really setting up the future of this whole tape promotion that we talked about, making it easy, bringing technology and intelligence into the whole mix. So if you want to get a hold of Kevin, uh, just go to the DemandTech website, and or you can look him up on LinkedIn. Uh, Kevin at DemandTech.com, would that be the... It, it'd
2: be Kevin.Sternacher yeah. at yeah, Acoustic. acoustic. Acoustic.com. dot com yeah, because Demantec is an acoustic company. Company, correct. Yeah.
0: yeah, acoustic. Yeah, as in sound. So, all right. So, listen, Kevin. Thank you so much for for being on the show. And by the way, I forgot to tell you this, but if you send us your address, we will actually mail you this mug. The retail. Oh, that's that's cool. <laughs> I definitely want <laughs> one absolutely. of those for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You want to send Stephanie your address, and we'll mail it to you. And next time you we get you on the show. We will have some coffee together with the butter. right?
2: Very good. Well, it's a pleasure, Shaker, and, and Gary. As as always, it's a great opportunity to visit with you as well. So, thank you for having me. Thank right. you. Well, thanks for being with us.
0: Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at the Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook.
1: And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com.
0: Until next time, this is Shaker.
1: And this is Gary, signing off.